Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And I have a series I'm doing on, on being ready, being prepared. God wants us to be, this is a preparatory season we're in, preparation, proceeds, opportunity. So we, we know God is opening doors and giving us opportunity, so we're going to get ready. Everybody say, get ready, set, go. Now, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify or set apart or make as a priority Jesus as central. Your heart is the very epicenter of your existence, your being. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And uh, God will sanctify us entirely and that our whole spirit and soul and body will be preserved blameless till the day of the Lord. Uh, He calls us, he equips us, he sanctifies us, he anoints us, he ordains us to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a forward representative of a kingdom. Ben Franklin was an ambassador to France for America, for the colonies. He then, in effect, represented the fledgling beginnings of what became the United States of America. He was a representative to the French. He spoke in representation of the colonials. And uh, God sent Jesus to engage us and to reveal himself to us. Jesus came to earth to reveal to people the character of God our Father and to perfect the way of salvation so that all who accept him by faith can have eternal life. And the story of Jesus' earthly life is clear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John wrote about it, and he described the reason that he wrote about it in John 20, 31. He said that, uh, I wrote these things so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, they might have eternal life through his name. Well, here we see that Peter carries this with the responsibility for us to make Jesus central, keep the big thing the big thing, Make Jesus central and Lord and focus, not an accessory, but primary. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say go out and argue all the social ills of the world. It doesn't say go out and badger people. It doesn't go out and, and, ta- and say get opinionated, get bigoted, go out and bark orders at people. It doesn't say that. What it does say, though, is to make Jesus central and then always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. I remember witnessing to a man years ago in our early beginnings as a couple. I think this was even before we were married. And we would intentionally go witnessing at the landing and we'd go to different places in the Central West End and in different spots at concerts and things, and we would go share the gospel with people. And um, I remember one guy was wanting to pick a fight with me, a debate, not a physical fight, but he was having, he wanted to, he confused the moment and thought I was there to debate with him about different things. So as I listened to him, because I had prayed and because I had meditated on this idea that I really wasn't there to win an argument, I was there to win souls. I wasn't there to win an argument. I was there to win souls. And in fact, look at what it says here in the rest of this verse. Do this with gentleness and reverence. So here I am 
listening to this guy, and he's trying to rope me into yeah, but, and trying to get me off into all kinds of other philosophical uh, rabbit trails. And I was there, you know, maybe 20, early 20s. This person was, you know, double my age, intellectually really sharp, you know, astute, learned, scholarly, and so forth. So I said to him, sir, listen, you know, you obviously really know what you're talking about, and, you know, that's not really the discussion I want to have with you. I've actually come here to tell you about Jesus, and I want to lead you to the Lord. And uh, it was amazing. He, he, it humbled him. It clarified. He, I think, the enemy was trying to rouse him to get it to go off into other places, and I wasn't there to argue with him. And I didn't use that to dumb it down, and I didn't use that because I was intimidated, because I wasn't, and I wasn't there to dumb it down, and I wasn't intimidated. Admittedly, I didn't really even know how to respond to some of the stuff he was saying, I, and yet I did know how to respond. I knew how to respond that I wanted to give an account for the hope that is in me and not argue and debate a bunch of conjecture and a bunch of, uh, of, of this issues of the day. I didn't come to accentuate the negative. I came to underscore the positive. And for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the work of the evil one, and he came to seek and save that which is lost. So I've got a three-point message, and this is the starting verse. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and we've got it on a banner over here, the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is transcendent behavior that God has mandated, and this is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes a brand new creation. The old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And that we become a new creation, a new species of being which never before existed. And Paul the Apostle, who said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews and he was a Roman citizen, said above all that, transcended above all that, my citizenship is heaven and I'm a new creation. Nicodemus was a prestigious leader of Israel and in John chapter three, he said, Jesus, I could tell you're sent from God because of the miracles around you. And he said, you must be born again. He said, how can a man be born a second time? He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he said that you must be born of the Spirit. And so what I'm teaching you is a thing of the heart. What, what happened to me on that moment of witnessing prior to it was a couple of hours of prayer. Prior to it was preparing and developing my spirit so that I could figure out who to go and talk to and who to refrain from. One time I was in Leicester Square in London with a mission team from church and I was witnessing to a guy and his heart was melting and the Holy Spirit was granting him repentance. And then a guy rode up on his bike, asked me for my wedding ring. He said, if you're a Christian, give me your wedding ring. While he was talking to me, saliva came out of his mouth. He wasn't spitting on me, but he was spitting while he was talking. I remember the spray. So I thought, this isn't cool. So that's a memory, isn't it? What was worse, though, about the spittle coming on my face or him challenging me, if you're a Christian, give me your wedding ring. God gave me an out with that because, you know, I said, well, this, my wife gave this to me, so I'm not giving it to you. 
And, um, and, but he said, well, give me a, a couple pounds for a beer. So I gave him a beer money. And he rode off. And then I went back to the guy that I was witnessing to. Oh, yeah, he said, don't listen to what he's saying. He, the guy on the bike rode up and said, don't listen to what he's saying. To the guy that was starting to melt his heart, God was melting his heart, it was the devil. So he asked for beer money, so I gave it, he rode off and got a beer. Crazy. Because God spoke to my heart before, and he said, listen, there will, be, there will be conversational sabotage moments if you're not careful. And you'll be right in the middle of flowing in, in giving an account for the hope that is in you because this person's receptive. And somebody that's not receptive will be argumentative, will come up from the side and try to distract. Isn't it the design of the devil to distract? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy and get us off track. But it's God's will and God's plan and God's intent today to clarify these things. And this verse cements this in. But sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart so that you can always, listen, always be ready. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. What a verse to live on track, to live honorably, to live godly. Listen, the greatest service we as Christians today can walk in, the highest work of our lives is in John, centered in John 6, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God to just strengthen our beliefs, sanctify Christ as Lord in our heart, stay central with the Lord. Don't let the devil beguile us from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. Yesterday we did a, a wedding and it was beautiful. Walter Olchesky said it was just the most amazing wedding. And, uh, it, it was, and I told the mom and dad of the bride that it was, it was part crazy, part anointed. It was, it was Libby Fosnott and Jesse Luttrell who are maturing people and got, found each other in the adult seasons of their life and there's a happiness and joy. They, these two became one. And they took the microphone at the end in their platform moment. They just encouraged everybody that in a pandemic they found each other, that in interesting circumstances they had this resolve uh, after so many years of singleness and then desiring to get married, they found one another. And he got a guitar out and sang his vows to her, which he's kind of a reserved guy, but uh, uh, it, he, and he did it as a surprise. And at the end, they had an Elvis impersonator sing an Elvis song. You can't make this stuff up. I just want to come to this church just to see what's going to happen next. And... Uh, it was a celebration. She particularly, she said, as the rain comes down, it was, there was snow on the ground. And uh, I said, we didn't have a white Christmas, but Libby had a white wedding. And then there was rain coming, and it rained all day. And my wife said, you know, Libby redeemed this blasé day and celebrated and had this great event on that day, and we celebrated it. But she said, as the rain comes down and the snow comes and replenishes the earth, so too God's word comes down and it doesn't return to him empty without accomplishing what it's been sent to do. 
And it's amazing because she didn't know this, but that scripture was on my heart and I failed to share it during the message. So she shared it anyway. So God will make up the slack and cover things for us as we'll listen. Aren't you glad that you can get anywhere from here? Aren't you glad that God requires that we forget those things which lie behind? And that for us as believers, the Christian bias is that the best is yet to come. And that's not an empty wish. That's not baseless optimism. That's biblical fact based on Proverbs chapter 4. The the path of the righteous is progressive. It shines brighter and brighter to the full day. So Libby's not longing for the past. She's not remembering and reminiscing about her past. She's not idealizing her future. She's just in the moment and turns around to all of us and says, hey, look what the Lord did for me on this day. And how the beauty of that. And, you know, Jesse fell in love with her a couple of years before and was interested in her. And, and uh, so she, isn't that great? Isn't that great? So good things can happen to those who wait. Good things can happen to those who make themselves ready. Opportunities are coming, so we might as well get ready for those opportunities. Be ready. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He said, be ready in season and out of season. And this helps me to understand, hey, Jeff, there are seasons where it's ready, set, go. And then there are seasons that seem like a lull. And I was the guy that got upset and frustrated during lulls. I was kind of wound up. I was kind of addicted to activity. And I confused activity with achievement. And so I would just think if the more I spin my wheels, the more RPMs I run my engine on, uh, somehow that's, that constitutes fruitfulness. And it, it's not always the case. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Sometimes there's value and power in sitting quietly before the Lord. That doesn't advocate lethargy. That doesn't advocate inactivity. Uh, rest is not a luxury. It's actually a requirement. And I, I think that's a significant part of St. Louis Family Church vision. God told me to build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. He told me this in 1977, 11 years before Chesterfield was incorporated as a city, down Wild Horse Creek Road on Cy Lane between 109 and Cy Lane on Wild Horse Creek Road in an old farmhouse. And I told Pastor John Moore, who's now on a vacation with Jana today in the south, he came over, he was my prayer partner that summer, and I said, John, the Lord spoke to me to build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. And he remembers, because he's good with the direction, that I stood there and I pointed exactly down to this valley. And uh, God had a plan to work this out after the counsel of his will when this was just a floodplain with an agricultural levy. And this was just, you know, these were cornfields. And then uh, God birth something and God's developing something and you know it's to reach out to the world I got a, the first text I got concerning uh, Aunt Libby and uh, and Jesse's wedding was from Pastor Dritan Gashi at Jakova Family Church in Kosovo which is right there by Albania in southern Yugoslavia in Illyricum what Paul called Illyricum and uh, he gave me an encouragement and sent me a screenshot of me praying for the couple and I thought I'm living the dream because here I am. God told me to have a church and that people that couldn't get married would get married. People that couldn't have babies would have babies. And there would be a lot of entrepreneurial entrepreneurship. 
And so these were the focus points God put in my heart as a young forming pastor. And uh, these ideas have been and always will be foremost to me because God has actually called us to communicate this life-changing message. And the devil wants to form a bubble around us and get us insulated and get us just in a survival mode and, and get us where we're overly protective and, and bummed out and freaked out and in a, in a defensive mode when all along God wants us to advance his kingdom. He wants us to pray big prayers. He wants us to dream out his dream. He wants to manifest himself through us and have signs and wonders follow us. But sometimes he'll get us ready in seasons. Sometimes he'll work decades on us to develop us. He worked 40 years on Israel to then say to Joshua and Caleb, now rise up, you and this people. Prepare provisions for yourself. For in three days, you're gonna cross the Jordan and possess the land. We're in another one of those growth potential surges. We're in another one of those favor moments. We're in another one of those open up the windows of heaven opportunities, but it doesn't feel like it. You can't see it. There's no uh, sensory reinforcement for it. We're coming out of having had a year of global pandemic, of having a very interesting, harsh, atmospherically harsh election process. And now we're here in this moment looking up, lifting, required to lift up our eyes and lift up our heads and recognize God has something that he has purposed that maybe he hasn't given us detail on yet. Maybe that the focus isn't completely sharpened yet, but yet he is faithful and he will guide us. And so therefore we must get ready. Here's what I want to say to you. The greatest thing we can do is to help other people to come to know Jesus. The best thing we can do through the course of our lives. Let me suggest a few things to you that we can do to, to move into, to get all unbelievers to come in line with. So we as believers must do it first. Number one, let's look to Jesus. This would be our message to encourage people to get their eyes on him. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the second verse says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There are people in here, there's a businessman over here that's placed in a certain position and has an anointing on his life, has a joy element on his personality, has a robustness in his, in his behavior, and people are watching him. And uh, they want to know why he has hope in him. So he needs to always be ready to give them the answers. And instead of having an on and off switch with this, let's just have it on all the time. We're ambassadors for Christ. Say that with me. I am an ambassador for Christ. So as we look to him, as we get our eyes focused on him, and we see what Jesus did in his earthly life, then we can walk in his steps. The story of Jesus' earthly life is he went from village to village making God's will known. God's will was for people to be saved, for people to be healed, for people bound up to be set free. He was a liberator. He was a deliverer. Those who had seen Jesus in the flesh and recognized him to be the true and living God and as the source of eternal life, documented it, gave us his word and passed it down to us so we could point sinners to the Lord Jesus, point them to the word of God, show them who he is. We can get lost people to start looking to the Lord. We can encourage them to cry out to him for help because we have found him to be faithful, haven't we? We have a testimony of God having been good to us, haven't we? So it's useless to look anywhere else for help 
because there's salvation only in Jesus Christ. Number two, listen to the word. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, attend to my word. Incline your ear to my saying. Don't let them escape your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? Because they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. I've beat this drum. Read your Bible. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed. Become familiar with Genesis to Revelation. Understand, rightly divide the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed. Study the scriptures. Learn from God's word. It's clear. It's distinct. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, Psalm 119, uh, 105. And this can be done in a simple and positive way. Remember the guy I was talking to that wanted to argue a bunch of rhetoric and I went back to the cross. It brought a conviction to him. Paul the Apostle said I've, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to the Corinthians, very sophisticated cosmopolitan port city, highly densely populated, sophisticated, cross-culture, eclectic, pluralism. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I came, I was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech was not in superiority of speech or of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. One of the things God wants to do as a conclusion and a consequence and in a, a result of our faith in this setting is that it be green pastures and quiet waters to bring nurturing, loving care for you through thick and thin, but then also to be a stabilizing environment that downloads strategy, power, anointing, and, and equipping. So you and I, we as individuals, can go out with joy, be led forth with peace, sanctify Jesus in our hearts, so when our prayers, we pray them, they matter, they get the job done. When we communicate with people, it has substance, it means something, and that God will confirm his word with signs and wonders. You might be the only Bible somebody will ever read. You're a living epistle, the Bible says, known and read by all men. People are watching. God's radar is fixed on you. This don't, I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable. One time I was in a department store and I had tracks in my pocket and I saw some guys, they were, they were Christmas shopping or something. I saw this one guy, the Lord said, I want you to give a track to that guy. So I'm okay, Lord, I prayed. So I, oh God, I pray you open his heart. So I got my track. I said, hey, sir, because he, I waited till he got on the escalator. So that, because I thought, you know, he's going to, you know, just wait until he got on the first step of the escalator. I don't know if it was so I could spare myself from having a confrontation or being rejected or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, he got on the one step and I said, hey, sir, I just want you to, hey, just put it in your pocket, read it later. It's about Jesus. He loves you so much and he has a plan for your life. And, and he goes, thanks, Pastor Jeff. So I thought, oh, man. Oh, man. I thought I was anonymous. Even these masks, you know, I, I, I'd be somewhere I think nobody can recognize me now. Hey, Pastor Jeff. But you, you say, well, yeah, but, you know, people know what you're about. People want to know why you tick. And even those of you that are introverted and, 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 and sort of uh, um, subtle in your life, that's, God made you that way because there are a lot of people that relate to your subtlety and, and identify that and identify with you and would definitely prefer to hear the gospel through somebody like you rather than somebody like me. 
And, and also, conversely, I know that there are advantages that I have. That I could, it's a, it's a, an open door. Uh, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, he said that it's, it's, as a soul winner, an advantage in many cases not to be a preacher. Because they go, oh, you're a preacher, so, you know, they ought, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. But when it's a regular rank-and-file, blood-washed, spirit-filled believer that's just walking in life and you come out with these truths and you want to make Jesus known, they have, you have an interesting credibility. You have an authenticity that you don't even realize. The devil doesn't even want you to hear what I'm preaching right now. Because you are called by God as the light of the world and as the salt of the earth. And that is not something that emanates out of all your efforts. It's something that God has printed in your system. That's who you are, man. You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus. You're a carrier of his presence. You are a carrier of the mission and the message and the substance of the gospel. And that's why God rallies people like us into places like this, under circumstances like these, in, with leadership like this, in the modeling of this book, so we could hear it in our generation and carry it to the four corners of the earth. And in two years, there will be eight billion people on this planet. And I believe it is feasible and, in fact, a mandate that we at least lead a billion people to the Lord. That's only a thousand million people. Reinhard Bonnke led 79 million people to the Lord in his lifetime. And my, one of my wife told him that I had a vision to reach a billion people. I kind of felt nervous about it, and I looked at him, and he was trying to explain to me, here are some of the ways I think you could do it. When he moved from Germany and came to America and became a U.S. citizen, his last comments through his bold, beautiful life were, America shall be saved. You're looking at a ministry couple that went away on the mission field and was planning on living in Europe and Britain because we saw it shifting into post-Christianity and we thought desperately we should base out of there and reach Europe and Britain and try to win those people to the Lord. God reminded us, I want you to build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. So he brought us back. 40 years later, we're here on the precipice of something beyond what we could even ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. And you are the comrades. You're the, we're commissioned. We're co-commissioned. We're co-laborers. We're joint heirs with Jesus. We look to him. We listen to his word. By meditating on the word, by feeding on the word, by speaking the word. Remember what it says in Romans. I've got just a couple of moments. Are you still with me? You guys, you guys still have a little listening left in you? Let's go to Ro Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10. I just have one more point. I could spend days on these two points, but I will go to Romans chapter 10, and it says here in verse 13, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yesterday, the groom, Jesse, took the microphone and said, if you don't know Jesus, ask him into your heart. It's simple. Repent. He'll forgive you of your sin. Trust him. Call on him. It was so accessible, I would have gotten saved if I wasn't saved. And I thought, here's this couple. The first thing they did, they had communion, they worshiped God, gave flowers to the moms, and got up in the microphone and said, God, look what the Lord did for us. He'll do great things for you. It was a great, it was a great deal. I got so blessed. Hallelujah. Linda Messler was a worship leader when we were serving as youth leaders at a church. And her dad was an alcoholic. And he 
his liver fell apart and he was in the deathbed at Missouri Baptist Hospital. I went, when I heard he was dying, my wife will tell you I was in the car and I was driving and I was weeping, praying he would not go to hell, weeping on Highway 270. So weeping, God, interceding for him. I got to the hospital, I went to the ICU, there was a waiting room packed with people, Linda was there. I walked in, I said, Linda, she said, I think it's too late. I think it's too late. When she said, I think it's too late, I heard um, there's still a chance. When I walked through the double doors, there was a, a conscientious nurse there. She said, can I help you? I said, I'm a pastor, I've come to visit so-and-so. Oh, follow me. And she said, he may not be able to hear you. I heard he may be able to hear you. I went over to the man I had only met one time about two weeks before, and he had died, and they forgot to sign the do not resuscitate order, so the hospital was required to revive him with defibrillators and get him on, and, they, and he was back alive. He, had, he, he was in quite a state. Let me put it to you this way. It was, he was in a rough place. So I said, sir, I'm here to, I'm Linda's friend, I'm from church, and I'm here to lead you to the Lord. If you can hear me, blink your eyes. He couldn't blink his eyes, they were set. Death was creeping into his body. He had already died. This is why I love this verse, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is why I'm preaching that we need to share the gospel with people while there's hope. We need to not be obnoxious. We need to do it with gentleness and reverence. No, we don't enter into a debate. If they try to pull us away from the cross, we go back to the cross. If they try to talk us out of it, we just finesse our way back to Jesus and uh, walk in love. And if, if they don't want to hear anymore, then we walk away and we, we, we water it with prayer and we trust God that there's enough power in the seed to germinate and do something and that they can, even the ones that are dismissive, can ultimately receive the Lord. There are people here that got saved that way. There are people you're struggling with in your life that will eventually come to the Lord, maybe in the last breaths of their life. Linda prayed for her dad. She was estranged from him. He was an alcoholic. They didn't have a good relationship as a consequence of that. A lot of people know that story. Mr. Messler, if you can hear me blink, he couldn't. Uh, wiggle your foot. He wiggled his foot. And I thought, maybe that's just a nervous twitch. So I had him do it again, and he was like doing it frustrated, like I'm hearing you. <laughs> Pray this with me right now. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you to forgive me. Mr. Messler, did you pray? Did you ask Jesus in your heart? Are you saved? He was from a liturgical background that was works-oriented, so he had to process it, imagine. But he, I think, had died and went out into a Christless eternity and got sucked back into his body and got a second chance. This is one of the most significant moments I've ever had in my life because I saw that this is a power beyond what we can even imagine, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And indeed, there can be deathbed salvation, but we don't know those sequences. So man, don't play any games. Get saved now. Don't put it off to the end because you don't know when the end is. So get it well in within the goalposts of life beginning and end and make sure you're right with God, right? Yeah. Linda, your dad got saved. What? I said, he just asked Jesus in her heart, and you need to come in, and you need to tell him you love him. She walked back in there. The nurse, remember, the nurse was respectful of ministry. 
She was respectful. She knew that we were not in a bunch of religious shenanigans. I've, I've been in situations where people did real, were bad witnesses in hospitals, but, but we were, we, you know, you have decorum and respect, but you're also, you're, you're not holding back on what you know. In the manners and with courtesy, with gentleness and reverence, not a bunch of flaky carnival goofiness, but you come in with reverence, not with hysteria, but with reverence. Uh, not with loudness and brashness, but with faith, purposefulness. We carry ourselves with God. It's dignified, it's loving, it's powerful, it's profound, it matters. Linda said, Dad, I love you. He wiggled his foot, and he died 10 minutes later. And then she told me she had a terrible estrangement from him, and then at the end, all's well that ends well. Imagine how he got in that, out of that, ah, comes back in, yes. That's why I'm a preacher. It's why I share the gospel. It's why I pastor this church. This is why I love the Bible. This is why I'm at this thing, because I know there's salvation nowhere else but in Jesus. That's what the thorns believe. That's what, that's what we're walking in. That's what you signed up for. That's why you're here. This is real for you. This isn't a crutch. This is a whole hospital. Right? Last point. Number one, we look to Jesus. Number two, we listen to his word. And number three, let's yield to the spirit. Pre-meeting prayer today, Ethan Barry told me, he said, I love the wind. Because we were in there praying and the wind was blowing on the tops of the bushes outside the prayer room window. And then the trees, branches, were boughs of the big pine trees were blowing I said, I do too, and I'm glad you do because we're in this vortex called the Chesterfield Valley where it's always, it's usually blowing uh, east to we, uh, west to east. And uh, they reminded me of this last scripture I want to share with you, John 3, 8. Let's all stand up on our feet. John chapter 3, verse 8. Everybody say, look to Jesus, feed on the word, and flow in the spirit. This is what it says right here. It says, in verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That describes us as people that are under the Lordship of Jesus, that are feeding on His Word, and endeavoring to walk in the Spirit. A spiritual man appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. You're a you are an enigma to most of the people, but yet they want to know that you will give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with reverence and gentleness. And by the way, it's a perfect time for us to be reverent and gentle because there is so much flipping hardness and harshness and, and aggression in the world right now that just it'll provide a glaring contrast when we're walking in reverence and gentleness, they'll know that that's, a, that's equated to confidence. They'll know that's equated, equated with faith, that as we're standing and believing in this situation that we're in and we're facing off with the circumstances of life, that God is God and he always will be God and that Jesus is present to help. I serve a God who pulled a man back into his body, forgave him of all of his sins, got him reconciled to his daughter, and then he blasted off into eternity. How do you think that makes me feel? How do you think that makes me feel? And it had nothing to do with my skills and my timeliness or anything, it was just it was just watching the power of all the prayer of the daughter, the hurt and the sadness turning into a moment of resolve in the last breath of a man's life. And so 
Let's sanctify Jesus as Lord in our hearts, always being ready. Everybody say ready, ready. set, ready. go.